When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. How are you today? I am fine because I'm about to talk about the romance. Perfect. I love it when you got that. You have the helm here. <laughs> when I completed this script, I dreamt of when we are going to talk about the the Republic and the emperors, but we are still in the dark, dark ages of the Roman world. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you're letting us do it. And this episode, we'll be looking at the maybe legendary king, Lucius Tarquinius Priscus, and his reign of Rome during the 580s. And he will survive this decade and be horribly murdered in the next. Oh, well, that's interesting to know. But first, we have to look at the world Tarquin lives in, and it is very much an Etrurian world dominated by the Etruscans. The Etruscans are all around him. He is probably an Etruscan or a Greek, mm -hmm. and they're way more powerful than he is. Okay. And one of the reasons for that is the Etruscan League. Mm -hmm. So... This is not verified because we still can't read the Etruscan script. But uh, according to legend, there was a period starting in 600 BC where 12 Etruscan settlements formed the Etruscan League. Okay. Because they were busy trading with and fighting each other, but then they realized that they were more powerful than uh, yeah. other people nearby. Right. Probably they are, you know, had Greeks and Carthaginians in their neighborhood too. And Romans getting bigger, they probably were smart to get 
stop fighting each other a little bit. Yes. So the Etruscan League of 12 Cities was legendary founded by Tarkon and his brother Turhenus. Okay. And this is why the Etruscans sometimes call the Turhenians. Okay. And also why the sea is called the Turhenian Sea. Aha. Uh, Tarkon himself lent his name to the city of Tarkna or Tarquini. That is the name of Tarquin, right? Yeah. So that's where he came from. Wasn't there something we had in one of our podcasts, like in the 600s, where there was a family from Greece that left and they became the, that family? So funny. Yes. Yeah. If anybody is binge listening, <laughs> remind me. <laughs> so we have a league of 12 cities, which leaves the question, which 12 cities? Hmm. And that's, uh, there is no consensus on which cities were in the league. As usual. But you have a lot of Etruscan cities, and 12 of them, probably the most powerful, were in this league. Okay. So it was a loose confederation of Etruscan cities, very similar to what the Greek states did later. It was mostly about economy and religion. Okay. So, and it was not the only Etruscan league. There were two others. Jeez, it's like the NFL and the... The USFL. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was one in Campania. All right. South of Rome. Oh, okay. And one in the Po Valley in the north. Yeah, so the Romans really were surrounded by Etruscans. Yes. And they have spread out during the uh, 7th century BC. Yeah. So Etruscans had been expanding to the north and to the south, all the way to Capua, which is a very important Roman city later, but at this time it's an Etruscan city. Okay. And from archaeology, we can see that some small towns disappeared at this time, probably assimilated by bigger, powerful neighbor cities. Yeah. Seems like there's population growth in this, these, these, this century, like it's starting to pick up, you know? Oh, yes. And we see the Greek influence very clearly on the Etruscans. Mm-hmm. But one hypothesis, they were more dominated by aristocrats than the Greeks were. Okay. We can see the Etruscans mining uh, copper and iron. Okay. So they are definitely in the Iron Age, which maybe not all tribes are in mm-hmm. Italy. And we already talked about how they will uh, collide with the Greeks. Yeah. They're not happy about Marseille. There's, that's brewing because Marseille is... You know, it's already grew pretty fast, and we're in the 580s, and it was founded in 600, and it's grown pretty fast. And there's Greeks, you know, you know, ships all around in that area, which is the Etruscans felt it was theirs. Yes, and this makes the Etruscan turn to Carthage, right? Because they know that Carthage will be irritated by the Greeks, right? Now, but the Carthage—I mean, the Etruscans liked Greek culture. It was just that they weren't into those Greeks that were. You know, starting to, you know, edge into their, to their territory and their business there. And of course, they uh, picked the parts they liked of Greek culture, and then they had very much their own culture, such as the gladiatorial games. Right. They were good engineers too, weren't they, the Etruscans? And not as good as the Greeks. Oh, maybe the Greeks taught them something, and then didn't they teach the Romans? Like they, you know, the. Yeah. Yes, they're definitely more advanced than the Romans. Yeah. Yeah. You know Tuscany in Italy? I know the name because I can't picture where it is. 
It's where I want to go uh, when I retire because then I can eat all the good food they have there. I don't dare do that now because I've become so fat. Oh, will you be thin if you eat it there? <laughs> it's a it's a great region in um, in the north. And this this is very much the power base of the Etruscans. Okay. So if you want to think where the Etruscans are based, that's Tuscany. Okay. So I mentioned that Tarquin was an Etruscan or a Greek ruling a typical Etruscan city-state in an Etruscan world. But I can go even further. What if the Romans are actually Etruscans? Don't they speak Latin? That's why we get confused. Yes, and that's the main theory about the Romans. But uh, so the Latin foundation theory of Rome is the most common theory. Mm-hmm. But there's actually also Greek foundation of Rome theory. Hmm. I didn't know that. But first I'll, I'll do the Etruscan Rome theory. And okay. remember, this is just a hypothesis. Okay. Because the, the founding myth of Rome is so weird. Romulus and Remus and the stuff. So that's probably not what happened. We know that people lived on the Palatine Hill much earlier than 753 BC. Mm-hmm. Uh, What is clear is that before the Etruscans arrived to Rome, it was a very small settlement, and then it expanded a lot. So it's hard to determine what is actually Roman and what is Etruscan. Right. Uh, So there are remnants of Etruscan settlements close to Rome, and we just presume that these appeared after the foundation of Rome. Oh. But archaeology tells us that some of them were there quite a long time. The Etruscan settlements were built on hills. They wanted steep, steep hills and had thick walls. Oh, around the cities they had thick walls? Yes. Okay. And the question if Rome had a wall at this point is also debated. Okay. But the foundation of Rome and the location seems very much what the Etruscans would do. Yeah. We know a, f- we know a few words in Etruscan. Let's have it. Well, very early they write the word Roma. Okay. Probably meaning Rome or Roman. Hmm. That would be interesting to know. And this, this boils down then to the problem that the city of Rome was sacked by the Gauls to some extent, in 390 BC, mm-hmm. destroying the earlier records of Rome. Mm-hmm. We know that there is an Etruscan quarter in Rome when Rome reappears after the sack. Ah. Oh. Yeah, that's 390? Yeah. Yeah, just real quick. Recently, they found some gold, They found some bronze statues that they consider... I might may, may do an episode on what's new in history. It's like a huge find, and it's from around that time, and there are Etruscans... They're Etruscan um, bronzes, and they're like of gods and goddesses. So that's interesting, too. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Also, you can find most elements of Roman culture that is not Greek are at least mirrored in Etruscan culture. Mm-hmm. So the Etruscan influence is huge and you can... It's hard to find something that is genuinely Roman. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, there's just a big amalgamation of all these people, you know. Maybe they're like people who want, like they always say it was built, Rome was made up of just refugees and slaves and all kind of different people and tough guys. Maybe it's, it's got a lot of truth to it. Under the legendary kings, Romulus and the second king, Numa Pompilius, the people in Rome were divided into 30 curiae and three tribes. Two of the names of the tribes, the Ramnes and the Luceres, seem to be Etruscan. Hmm. And we have these two clearly Etruscan kings, king number five and seven, number five being our current king in the narrative. And we clearly see that the first four kings are legendary. Right. So what if later Romans invented this identity to separate them from the Etruscans? Yeah, but they didn't. But the Latin part is what gets me. Like they speak Latin, so I don't know. Yeah, so it's clearly an Etruscan intrusion into Latium, right? Yes, but maybe the intrusion was in the form of founding a city, right? Much like Hanno did in our last episode. You're right. And we don't know how the language changed. I mean, like they could have. You know, been a lot of there could be like just like English has a lot of French words. There could be a lot of Etruscan words in Latin now that were not there way before. Yeah, and as I said before, the sources for early Rome are terrible. Terrible. But already now a new hypothesis about the origin of Rome. All right. In the fourth century BC, scholars like Heraclitus Ponticus asked the question: If Rome was actually founded. By Greeks. Hmm. Interesting. There was a lot of Greeks around. Dionysus of Halkanassus says that it's unclear whether Rome was or had been an Etruscan polis. And this idea caught on that Rome was a Greek polis with a lot of Philhellenic historians. Yeah. You know, Romans that were 
right. amazed by Greek culture. Right, that's what I was just thinking. And remember that Augustus later makes Rome a city founded by Trojans. Mm-hmm. I think my main point here is that it is so unclear what's going on here. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and of course, we ask us this question because it turns out to be a global superpower in the end. Right. Of course, we're not wondering about what happened, you know, in Iran uh, or something and how many different yeah. places got through there. That's probably what it really is. It's just a multicultural right from the start. And when Rome was a tiny village in Latium, there were plenty of tiny villages that didn't turn out to be world superpowers. Yeah. But we can clearly see that there is a profound social transformation from the Greek world into Italy. Probably mostly from the Etruscans, but also from the Greek colonies in Italy, which are established in the south. Yes. And what probably happens is that the Greek culture is so superior, they know so much more that they influence people and make them copy the Greek models. People just always seem to like that. It's sort of almost like West, I hate to say it like that, but like Western culture. You know, a lot of times when people go, people like the individuality of it. And, the, and you know, Greeks had the gymnasiums and the marketplace and all these things. And people like them, you know, just like people like to go shopping and, you know, all around the country, all around the world. And the Greeks were kind of like that. You know, what else is kind of ha- what's kind of happening now, we sort of alluded to it before, is the the kings of Asia are pushing the Greeks and the and Ionia out, and they're, they're also pushing the Phoenicians out. So there's a lot more people coming over into this part of the Mediterranean. Yeah, it, it is. Like the Ionian Greek cities are going to disappear soon. I mean, they're going to be there, but they're not going to be free cities anymore. Oh, they will be around for quite a while. Right, but they're not free cities. So that's why the, like the vocations that found in Marseille, they're, they're an Ionian Greek city. So a lot of people will start coming over to, um, to the Mediterranean. So I like to quote Cambridge Ancient History here. Okay. At present, the traditional alternative of interpreting archaic Rome as a society similar either to a Greek or to an Etruscan city-state is complicated by the emergence of other, often more remote factors, which have not yet been defined with sufficient clarity. It must be added that even some fundamental features of Roman society of the 7th to the 6th century BC are in themselves obscure, end quote. Mm -hmm. To say the least. Well, there is some archaeology done, and you know, archaeologists want to um, name archaeological faces... Mm-hmm. And they have the very late orientalizing phase, uh, which lasts between 630 and 580 BC. Okay. And this is exactly the same archaeological phase as the Etruscans around Rome. Uh-huh. So their civilization seems to be on par with the Etruscans here. Mm-hmm. Maybe because they are or are partly Etruscan. I mean, I bet you they're a vassal. If nothing else, they're, God, they're, surely they're a vassal. At some point, they must have been. Maybe, but it seems that Tarquin took over Rome with his charm. So he's the king of Rome, but he's ruling it like an Etruscan city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is another league of importance to us, which will show up a lot in future decades. And that's the Latin League. Yeah. 
So of course the, the Latins organize as they see the Etruscans do. But these are villages and tribes and not cities in the sense that the Etruscans have them. Yeah. Or maybe towns. But this is a defense league. And there is no word in Latin for the league. The Latin league is coined by modern historians. I see. I mean, I'm just speculating, but you know, when there's that many people mixing around in an area, people just come, I think some people maybe just chose to go to different places. You know, you sort of chose to go to Rome. It's, I always say Rome was open for people to come, and maybe if you didn't get along with your Latin and you didn't get along with your Latin peeps and your places, you could go to Rome and. If you're Etruscan, you go to Rome. If you're Greek, you can go to Rome. Well, if they were looking for people. That's even what the Romans themselves said about the Rome of Romulus, that everybody was welcome. Yeah. They just needed people. Yeah, yeah, they needed people, and it, it worked out. That's why you don't build walls, man. <laughs> so this is um, the world around Rome, but now to Rome itself. So Lucinius Tarquinius Priscus, the fifth legendary king of Rome, or who is maybe a real person, mm-hmm. is the king. And I, I told you last time we talked about Rome that the, the nature of Roman kingship is quite unclear. Mm-hmm. And maybe they didn't have any kings at all. But at least they have a very strong impression of having kings. Yeah, that's for sure. Lucius Tarquinius Priscus became the king in our story in 616 BC. So he's now getting old. Yeah. There is also the legend that the sons of the previous king, who is even more legendary, Ancus Martius, are still around. And they believe that the kingship should be hereditary and that one of them should be the king. I just wanted to mention them because they will show up in the next decade. Yeah. Okay. We do have a very good location for the city. So we're sitting on the first ford and the easiest landing place of the Tiber. And the Tiber is kind of a border between ethnic groups here. So Etruscans, Latins, Faliscans, Sabines and Umbrians in the, in the neighborhood. So compared to the other settlements in the area, Rome has very good communications. You can go on the Tiber, you can easily reach the sea... And there is really no place like it nearby. Yeah. Hmm. You know what? That kind of, what we just said before about people coming in and maybe people that were coming in from all different places, you have all different kinds of people, right? And you have certain kinds of people that would recognize that. Yes. You know, where they're like, hey, this is a great place to set up a business, get on the bottom floor, you know. There's a, there's a good harbor here. There's a good, you know, river. There's a lot of opportunity and people just started coming in. It's a, you know, it's a thought. Especially people who are used to founding new cities, like the Etruscans yeah. or the Greeks. And Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Even the Carthaginians, but we know they weren't there, so. There are sources that claim that Tarquin's father was uh, Greek. Okay. Yeah, right. That's why I say that he's maybe a Greek. I think we, I'm pretty sure I remember something. Wasn't he the, something to do with the baby that they passed the baby around and they kissed the baby? Remember they, the baby smiled at 10 people and then he left? I'm pretty sure that that's it's so long ago that we did it. But I think that was, and then they, the legend was that they left and they became that family. We did talk about this, yes. Yeah. You got better memory than me. And 
Tarquin is now prepared to go to war. Hmm. She has built up the military that maybe then the hostile king, one of the legendary kings, constructed. <laughs> but there is an army and it's powerful. And I think it's noteworthy then that Tarquin doesn't go to war with the Etruscans because they are his people mm-hmm. and they are powerful. He goes to war against the Latins. Mm-hmm. He takes the Latin town of Apiole, sacks it and brings great booty back to Rome. Okay. According to an ancient source, this war must have occurred before 588 BC. Okay. Maybe because of the eclipse? So what the Romans say is that they never started a war ever. Right. So, of course, the Roman version of this story is that the Latins claimed that the peace treaties from old, from the old Roman kings, they no longer applied because there was a new king. And thus the Latins attacked Rome. Ah. So Tarquin responded to this with um, conquering Apiolii. And then he just went on. So he attacked several other Latin cities. So it seems that Rome is the most powerful player in, on the plane. Yeah. Well, the Latins were pissed off by this. So they, they asked for help from the Sabines and the Etruscans. And the Sabines are such a mysterious people because the legend is that they were already part of the Roman people. Right. Because they took all the women. So the Etruscans and maybe the Sabines sent forces, but uh, Tarquin just kept attacking the Latins before they could get there and won a great victory, for which he claimed the first Roman triumph. Oh. So this thing, the, the triumph, is invented by Tarquin, or maybe it's based on some Etruscan right. habit from earlier. Right. This must have been triumphs of others. I think the Assyrians used to have some sort of triumphs. But now the sources tell us that uh, Tarquin won against the Latins then, and then he attacked the Sabines. Hmm. So the Sabines have a camp at the corner of two rivers, and from there they can move their troops quickly and efficiently, but they didn't get there in time to save the Latins. Okay. But Tarquin, who has great military cunning, according to our sources, surprised them by a night attack. Mm. He sends a fleet of small boats, which are on fire, into the Sabine camp, downriver, into the camp. The whole camp is set on fire. Nice. The Sabines then, oh no, it's burning, so they try to put out the flames. But... While they're trying to do that, Tarkin attacks and destroys the camp. Way to go, Tarkin. These are probably small engagements, right? Like, they were not huge armies, I would think, right? Would you say? No, they're definitely not huge armies. These are yeah. small provincial armies. Right. Those small engagements. So the Sabines uh, attack again. And Tarkin has to um, make a reform to uh, handle this. And the legend is that he doubles the numbers equites. So the Sabines managed to get into Rome, and it turns into street fight. So this this really says that there are not too many people involved in this. Yeah, yeah. But in the streets of Rome, they are defeated. And Tarkin now chooses to negotiate. He seems to be pretty good at that, because he receives a full town for his efforts, Colatia. Oh. 
Oh yeah, it's the it's close to the equinox. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's close to the eclipse. Uh, I mean, the solar eclipse. Because this is the triumph is celebrated on September the thirteenth, five eighty five BC. Right. So that's probably how they could tell these dates. Yes, and other sources have this after the Sabine fighting. Okay. Yeah, this is really interesting. So a couple of Latin cities are now Roman colonies. But remember, there was a third army nearby, the Etruscans. Yeah. They, I don't know which Etruscans, they must have belonged to one or more cities, or maybe it's yeah. the Etruscan League itself. But we think Tarquin might have been an Etruscan. It's so confusing, yes. too. <laughs> but he's definitely not in the League. No, I guess not. Because maybe he's not uh, top 12 in the Etruscan yeah. cities. So he has fought some Etruscans, but not the main army. So he has some prisoners from uh, Etruria. Okay. And now he wants peace with his countrymen. So he don't want to fight Etruscan armies. They are the best armies. There are now 12 Etruscan cities who are hostile to Rome and don't want to negotiate. Oh, boy. They attack the Roman colony of Fidenae. And then Tarkin wants it back. So all the fighting goes on at Fidenae. Okay. And there are several bloody battles of which we know very little. But Tarkin wins in the end. Way to go, Tarkin. And he takes a lot of stuff, and he also uh, negotiates uh, more stuff from the Etruscans. Hmm. Okay, now I have more on the Triumph. Oh, yeah, tell us. What's a, tri- what's a Triumph? That could be maybe that would be one of the things we'd go to in the, in the, um, in the time machine, the first Triumph in Rome. That must have been quite a party, although I would go to the 1,000 year of Rome party. Yeah, that'd probably be a real nice party. Uh, managed by Philip the Arab, if I remember correctly. The emperor. Carry, maybe you can carry a hairy gorilla through the streets of Rome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Now that is something. <laughs> so, Tarquin is riding a golden chariot drawn by four horses. He has a gold embroidered toga and uh, this palm leaf tunic. So it's had have embroidered palm leaves on it. Okay. He's also introducing Etruscan insignia of civilian authority and military distinction. And these are straight from the Etruscans. He has the scepter of the king. Yeah. A purple garment. Uh, most often it is used as a mantle. It's called a trebia. Okay. And this is later the color of the emperors. He has lictors carrying fasces. Oh. And all important Roman people have lictors, people walking behind them carrying fasces to show how important they are later. Ah, I want some lictors. He has a special share, special toga. He has the rings later worn by senators. He has the paludamentum, a cloak associated with military command. And the falera which is a disco metal that the soldiers wear on their breastplate during parades. So this is quite a sight. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it's a tr- based in Etruscan tr- tradition. Yes, very much Etruscan. Yeah. Strabo reports that Tarkin also introduced sacrificial and divination from the Etruscans. Okay. He also introduced the... Tuba. A tuba? 
Yes, the horde? The two, yeah, the horde. Oh, wow. <laughs> this was a military implement at the time to give orders on the battlefield. Oh. <laughs> I can just see the tuba player from a band. So you can see in this triumph the all the signs of Roman authority later. Yeah. And it's all Etruscan. So interesting. I still say, yet they speak Latin. <laughs> There's also another note here from the 580s okay. that he constructs the Cloaca Maxima, but we have already built that in our podcast narrative. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did. That's the sewer system. But you can find smaller versions of this sewer in the Etruscan area. Yeah, they were good engineers, the Etruscans, if I recall correctly. I think a lot of the Romans' engineering came from the, originally from the Etruscans. Remember what I said, that the Roman kings were like pigs, which you can yeah. put stuff on. So here he gets also the Temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Capitoline Hill, mm-hmm. which is said to have been constructed by Tarquin. Mm-hmm. And to build it, he used plunder from the Sabines. Okay. He is also said to have constructed a stone wall around the city at this time, but it's very much not clear if Rome had a wall. But looking at all this fighting, they probably should have a wall. So we're leaving Tarquin in charge of Rome after his triumph, everything is good. But before we leave Rome, I want to mention some people that are around in Rome that will be important in the next decade. Okay. First, the sons of Ancus Martius that I already mentioned, the sons of the last king. Yeah. And then Tarquin apparently has children. He might have a son or a grandson. We know that this person probably did exist, but we don't know if he's the son or the grandson. But he probably did exist, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. His name is... Lucius Tarquinius Superbus. Oh. <laughs> Tarquin the Proud. Superbus. Nadius Maximus. This is, of course, the uh, seventh king of Rome. Okay. But he has some sort of relation. Either he's the son or the grandson. Okay. And given his age, yeah. when, he, and when he dies, he's probably the grandson. Yeah, yeah. He dies more than 80 years after... Yeah. Unless there was a couple other of those Tarquiniuses inside in there that were different people, you know? No, they, they are related. We know that. I mean, that's what I mean, like a son and a grandson, because if he didn't live for really live from rule for 80 years, you know how we say that they're legendary. Yes. Right. Well, he lived for 80 years, but 80 years longer than our current Tarquin, so gotcha. that probably makes him the grandson. I hear you. Okay. King Tarquin, the fifth king, our main character here, also has a daughter. And he really loves his own name, so he has named <laughs> his daughter Tarquinia. Oh, that's original. Or maybe that's just the family name in the female yeah. form. That's why I wonder if, if maybe this Tarquin is a couple kings, and that's why he's so long, you know? But who knows? But there's one more important guy in Rome, and this guy is so strange. And the story about him is so strange. Okay. That's an argument for that the story is true. Because nobody would make up something like this. <laughs> i got to hear this. I don't even know what it is, I'm telling you. He's Servius Tullius. Okay. And most Roman sources says that his mother was Ocretia, uh, a young noblewoman. 
who have been captured by the Romans. Okay. So they captured this young noblewoman. And she was either pregnant by her husband, who had died in the battle, or she came to Rome as a virgin. But she was a slave now in Rome, and she was given to Torquin's wife, Tanaquil. Okay. And even if she was a slave, Ocrisia, she used to be a noblewoman. So she had some respect because she had the manners yeah. of a noble. And in one variant of this story, Tarquin gives her as wife to another nobleman in Rome. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Need to stock up on any weather wardrobe staples? Check out American Giant for hoodies, jackets, sweats, and more pieces you can wear anywhere. All made right here in the USA. Go to American-Giant.com and use code AnyStyle24 for 20% off your order. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Boom. In another version of the story, she becomes a Vestal Virgin in Rome. All right. Remember, the Vestal Virgins cannot have sex. Yeah, that's usually what that means. Okay, now the story will turn a bit fantastic. Yeah, because she sees a virgin in somebody's mother. Is that what we're saying? Yes. She, in, in the Vestal Virgin version of the story, she is tending the fires of Vesta. You know, the fire of Vesta always needs to be burning in Rome. Otherwise, Rome is dead. Right. When suddenly, a disembodied phallus rises from the flames. <laughs> okay. And this is either... <laughs> Uh, a household god or Vulcan himself sending wow. this this floating penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> but it's That's much more it um, sort of um, detailed because this <laughs> phallus penetrates her <laughs> and then she has a child. Wow. But when she has the child... She is a Vestal Virgin who has had sex. With the floating penis, though, does that really count? I don't know, I guess. Well, her mistress, Tanakil, the wife of the King Tarquin, she covers this up. 
Okay. So she isn't burned for having sex while being a Vestal Virgin. Okay. And of course, this all sounds like uh, the story of Moses' childhood or of Sargon the Great's childhood. Yeah, I mean, yeah even Romulus and Remus and we've got a bunch of that kind of stuff. So this child is Servius Tullius and he's then half divine. Yeah. Or the son of a guy who was killed by the Romans. Hmm. Which one could it be? <laughs> floating penis or a guy killed Some by the Roman Romans? authors cut this out, the floating penis thing. Oh. <laughs> Livy and Dionysus, uh, they don't write this. No, okay. But things continue to happen close to Servius Tullius. There are a lot of omens that this guy is super special. All right. But he's just a slave boy. He's a slave because he still stays with his mother, the virgin? His mother was a slave, so he's a slave. Oh, I thought maybe they put him in a basket or something. Okay, I got you. No, they're not putting him in baskets. Okay. Like, supernatural things start, keeps happening close to this kid. They're like, like glowing halos appearing above him and stuff. It's like the gods are, this guy is important. Of course. Uh, At some point, a member of the royal household looks at this kid while he's sleeping and he has a nimbus of fire about his head. Hmm. Also, the name Servius means slave. Oh, okay, sure. And some scholars think that the Romans didn't want slaves to think that they could become kings. Uh-huh. Oh, I spoiled that he will become the sixth king. I had a feeling he was going to be somebody. <sighs> Which make this somewhat believable. But there, there's some kernel of truth in this. And maybe it's just a, a boy who is really talented. And Tarquin notes that this guy is probably a very competent leader. Mm-hmm. And he grows up in Tarquin's household. And Tarquin even marries his daughter to him. Okay. That's why they make up the fantastic story then. Probably, yes. You know, because it, and Rome seems to be still, you know, somewhat of a city that could be based on merit because it's not, you know, an ancient, you know, hierarchical city with all this hereditary rulers. And so this guy's in the guy's in the king's household because his mother was a servant, was a noble woman and yada, yada. So, you know, yeah, I could see how they could, you'll see similar stories about other people in this era too. So, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely more apt than the divine penis. The divine penis, that's funny. <laughs> so in the next decade, the first Roman king, Phanohistor acknowledges, will die. Okay. Tarquin has done a lot of great things. Yeah. But there will now be a struggle for power. Who will be the next king? That never happens in Rome, is it? does it? <laughs> <laughs> so in the next episode, we will, in the next decade, we'll cover that. Okay. But in the next episode, okay. we'll deal with the Battle of the Eclipse. Okay. Now I'm going to hear on about, that. about that. On the 28th of May, 585 BC. That is like four months before the date we had for the Romans, for the triumph. Okay. So I yeah. wonder how we know that date. That's probably how. It's probably part of it for sure. And we it's the same sure eclipse that. then. What's that it's idea? the same eclipse that Thales or Miletus Correct, uh, yes. Predicted. Valley's is eclipse. We should make sure, remember, on May 28th to post something on our Facebook and have a little celebration for the eclipse. Yeah, this sounds so epic, the battle of the eclipse. And yeah. you'll hear 
all we know about it. Oh, we know. In a, <laughs> in a five hour episode or yes. maybe, maybe a little shorter next time. Yeah. Well, we're having Graham Hitchcock help us with that episode so we can expand a lot on it. <laughs> That's Graham Hancock. <laughs> oh, Hancock, was, sorry. Was, I, I would like to meet Graham Hitchcock, yeah. the half Hitchcock, half Graham Hancock. Yes, it could be. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk a bit about Graham Hancock in the next okay. episode as well. Okay. He wasn't at the Battle of the Eclipse, and nor were the Atlanteans. No, that's no fun. What as fun far as we know. Yeah, hey, anything could be. There could have been a floating penis there, too. I also want to apologize for using this legendary material, but I did make the decision to include Rome from 616, so... Yeah. So you will have to live with this story and my caveats for its historicity. I mean, listen, a lot of, we have a lot, a lot of history from Herodotus, and a lot of it is just based on a kernel of truth, and it's just a story. So obviously stuff is happening here, what you just described having in Rome with all these different civilizations and cultures mixing together in this city, you know, starting to uh, make its way and feel its way in the world and get start growing it bigger. I mean, it's small now, but it, obviously we know what happened, so. Yeah, and in the end, there is this one big question that so many historians have wondered about. Why is it this town? Why is this tiny place destined to become this incredible superpower? I'd say the people. The location, sort of, but the people. We'll, we'll talk about that many, many times in and, the future. Yeah. All right. But that was it for Rome, okay. for the 580s. All right. Well, thanks for listening. I think by this time, the, uh, our episode from What's New in History on the, on the Roman, um, on the Pantheon, the, where we, there was some archaeology there. I know that's come out by now. And so please check out those episodes in between our narrative, What's New in History. I'm having a lot of fun with that. If you, if you see any articles that's interesting in history, um, you want to send them away our way on Facebook? That'd be great. If you want to, you know, if you're sort of an expert or you have some interest in some topic like that, and you want to do a podcast with me, you give me a call, or I should say, you know, message me. We'll see. Hope we could do something with that. So yes, yeah, shout out to all our Patreons, all our fans. We really appreciate it. Check us out on Patreon.com/slash/FanOfHistory, and we're going to see you next time on the Battle of the Eclipse. Indeed. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.